good to be back again today to share with you a very, very fascinating, perhaps most unusual metaphor in the Bible. And I was afraid when you looked at the sermon title, everybody would get up and go. But some of you brave souls stayed to see what on earth I was going to talk about today. Well, life seemed very hard out there in the wilderness for Israel. It seemed very difficult. There was a distinct lack of the conveniences of life that they were used to. Hmm. Much less the conveniences you and I are used to. There were no, no dishwashers, no clothes washers and dryers. There were not the conveniences that we take so for granted. In fact, their, their diet was very limited. There are no bananas and no, no apples that we just saw cut here in front. There were no potatoes. They didn't even have corn on the cob. That's a real sacrifice. So life in general was very unpleasant. We would think it very unpleasant. You know, camping is fun. I love to go camping. But you know, it would get old if you were doing it day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. It gets kind of old. So camping got old for them. And uh, they begin to think, they begin to feel, perhaps would be the word, they begin to feel that God and Moses had just brought them out there into the wilderness to die. And consequently, they lost their awareness of the, the many blessings, the acts of protection, the demonstrations of love that God was giving them every day. So in Numbers 21 we again see Israel complaining. In fact, they're rebelling against God and against Moses. Let's review that familiar story. Again, Numbers, the 21st chapter, and verse 1, verse 4 says, they journeyed from Mount Hor by way of the Red Sea to encompass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged by the way. The way they went, the way they camped, the way they traveled, the way they lived, the way they ate. They were tired of the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Wherefore, or why, have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathes this light bread. I was fascinated by that word, light bread. Why, when my wife makes bread, she always wants it to be light. But that's what they complained about, this light bread. So they no longer appreciated, or perhaps even saw, God's continual presence, God's continual blessing and protection. They even rejected the leaders that God had given them. But they weren't alone out there. They certainly weren't alone. But you know, I have found, and perhaps you too, that sometimes when we have trials and things are difficult and we have worries and we have health worries, we have financial worries, we have children's worries, we have all kinds of worries, we can get feeling pretty alone, like Israel did. So they felt alone, but they weren't alone. 
In fact, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us who was with them. It says in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I would not have you ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink in the same spiritual drink for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was who? Christ, Jesus, was with them. So Christ was with them there in the wilderness. They were not alone in their trial. It was Christ who cared for them. It was Christ who led them. It was Christ who was meeting their needs day by day. No, they didn't get chocolate cake every day or pie, but they had their need, their necessities provided for. Every moment that they were in the wilderness, they were kept by divine mercy. Deuteronomy, 15, Deuteronomy 8, verse 15, tells of the scorpions and the snakes that they were protected from. And then, of course, there was the cloud for shade by day and the warming pillar of fire by night. They had constant reminders of God's presence, and yet they forgot. You remember, their clothes didn't even wear out. Now, that's a that's a stumper. How do you figure out how clothes wouldn't wear out? Did God do something to friction? Or did God do something to the clothes? I, I don't know. I'm asking someday. Somehow their clothes didn't wear out even. They were free from disease and sickness. And they were even protected from the wild beasts. But you see, sometimes when things are difficult, we don't know how difficult they could be. Sometimes we feel that I have these trials, but we have no idea how God is protecting us from far greater trials and the ways that he's intervening. Well, God, God kept trying to get them to trust him, to get them to recognize him as the source of hope and help and to see their dependence, their total dependence upon him. For instance, the manna. You know that the manna was a daily reminder. God was using it every day to teach them they could trust him. He'll provide tomorrow. He'll take care of it tomorrow. We can count on him for tomorrow. But then they rebelled against that heavenly food. They were tired of having to depend upon God every time they got hungry. Hmm. They'd rather depend on themselves. They thought they were, themselves were more dependable. The Bible says that sin separates from God and limits the Holy One of Israel. Yes, they had limited the hand of God. And every time I read that text, I wonder how much in what ways do I have lack of faith that I limit the Holy One of Israel? Well, they certainly limited the Lord. Well, let's review what happened. Let's go on. Verses 6 and 7 of Numbers 21. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and some of the Israelites died. 
the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Now, of course, you know when the word Lord is in all capitals in your Bible, that's that tetragrammaton that is God's name. We, we say it's Yahweh, but we don't know how it's really pronounced. But uh, the vowels from Lord were taken and put into this tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, and uh, made Yahweh. But the real pronunciation, we have no idea. But when you see all capitals there, that means it's God's covenant name. So he said, we have sinned when we spoke against Yahweh and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. So God had withdrawn one aspect, just one aspect of his protection so as to get them to see a glimpse of, of what he was continually doing for them and to bring them to repentance. Well, it brought them to repentance. But don't you wonder why God chose a snake? Why would God choose snakes? Couldn't he have just removed the cloud so that they got hot during the day? Or removed the fire that kept them warm in the evening, at night? That would have gotten across the point. Why snakes? Well, maybe it was because there were snakes all around. They saw them constantly, and the snakes were very handy to uh, attack them. Well, that might have been part of the reason. But perhaps there was some symbolism here that the Lord had in mind. You remember Revelation 12, 9. The New International Version words it this way. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So in this verse, we see that the snakes represent who? Satan and sin. Since when? At what point did it begin? In the garden, yes. That's where it all began. Well, who was now working on them? Who was now biting Israel and pouring his venom of, of rebellion against God into the people? That same old serpent, the devil and Satan. So, what a good symbol it was that it's snakes that give them fits, gives them trouble, gives them tragedy, actually. But God was trying. He kept trying to get them to trust him, to depend upon him, to recognize that it was he who was protecting them. It was he who gave them hope and help. They had such a hard time remembering the lesson. Uh, maybe I do too. Maybe you do too. Forget. There's only one source to trust, only one to whom we can go. So I wonder about us today. You know, we have so many luxuries. We have so much self-sufficiency. Think about it. So much self-sufficiency. We provide for ourselves 
so well that it's little wonder that we have a hard time really trusting God, that we have a hard time really seeing our need and putting our faith in him. But that faith is so essential in every aspect of our lives. Well, the story goes on to say that Israel got the point. Verse 7 said, we read, that they immediately recognized the cause of the problem. They recognized that God's protection had been withdrawn, and it was because of their sin that uh, this terrible thing was happening to them. So they come to Moses. They come to Moses, who just before they had been accusing him, um, describing him as their enemy, as the one who teamed up with God for their destruction. <laughs> now they come back to Moses, but a different attitude. Attitude is very important, isn't it? They come with a different attitude. Now it's with humility, and frantically they confess their sin and admit their guilt and admit the cause of the problem. Now, if they came to you, what would you have done? Well, I suppose it's sometimes tempting. I remember driving one day from my church. I was headed back to town, and, and a police officer was riding my bumper. Really, really riding my bumper. So close, I couldn't see his bumper. And we hit a little straight stretch, and whew, round me he went. Well, just ahead was a little, we went over a hill, and as I came over that hill, he had rear-ended someone. And they were all pulled off to the side. The officer, in his impatience, perhaps anger at me, you know, there's nothing more frustrating than to get behind somebody that drives the speed limit. It is so frustrating. Well, he was frustrated, and, and now he had an accident. Now, what went through my mind? Can you guess? Did I sympathize? Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> My first impulse was, good enough. Mm -hmm. He deserved it, yeah. Well, then I had second thoughts. Well, now, that isn't very Christian attitude. That isn't what Jesus would have said. But you know, that's our tendency. And so what would we have said to Israel if, if their leaders had come to us and said, now what do we do? Pray for us. Do something. Well, the big question now is what was God going to do now? Well, I suppose he could just have chased the snakes away. I suppose that's what I would have done once I got over my feeling of good enough for you. I would have chased the snakes away. But, and he does that a little later on. But he does something more important, something better. He gives them a spiritual lesson. Number 21, verse 8. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on the pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it on the pole. Hmm. Don't you question how carefully he would have made that snake? 
knowing that all over camp there were people being bitten and people dying and people giving up hope, I doubt he put a lot of detail into that snake as he molds it or carves it of bronze. I suspect he, it was the impression of a snake, but probably not too carefully made. Hurry, hurry, and save people's lives. But the verse goes on to say, then when anyone was bitten by the snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Scripture doesn't say that there is anyone that refused to live. Life was in a look. God didn't make it difficult for them. And God doesn't make it difficult for you to be saved. He doesn't say you have to do everything perfectly and be a perfect person before you can come to him for salvation. Life is in a look for you and me too. So they couldn't solve the problem themselves, but they had to show faith. They had to show that they believed what God said. This God that was providing manna for them every single day must be trustworthy. I'll trust him and look at the serpent on a pole. So we must also have faith in his promises. And in jo like Job, who said, I have so much trust in him, though he slay me, I still will trust him that he's doing the right thing. Jesus, who had so much faith that he could say, Father, I want to be delivered from this, but life or death, your will be done. We, too, have to make those difficult choices sometimes. Hmm. I remember wishing for a snake on a pole. When we lived in Louisiana, pastored there for a few years, our five-year-old, Tim, was the youngest of our four sons, and he was helping mom on the south side of the building of our house. There is a, you know, a typical of a home, I had a two or three foot strip of flower garden, and she was weeding and pulling the leaves out and getting it all pretty, and Tim was helping. And she said, Tim, we need a rake. Would you run out and get to the garden shed and get a rake? There was a hose running across the yard, and so he headed off, and while he was going to get the rake, she went next door to the east side of the house to say goodbye to the neighbors who were going to the hospital to visit somebody. So they were just leaving for the hospital. And while she was saying goodbye, sometimes that takes a while for ladies, uh, so while she's saying goodbye, <laughs> sometimes men too, huh? All right. <clears throat> while she's saying goodbye, Tim comes running up to her. As he was running out to the shed, he, he stepped on the hose. And he came running up to her and said, something bit me, something bit me on the foot, something bit me. And so while he's dancing up and down, she's saying goodbye as they're leaving to the hospital. And then she turned and looked at his quickly swelling foot. And she realized immediately that something was against that hose, that when he stepped on the hose, there was a snake there. 
And the snake had bitten him on the ankle. Well, in Louisiana, most of the snakes are poisonous. Well, she wasn't going to sit around and wait and see if it was poisonous. It was already swelling quickly. She had just taken a class, a junior class, of the importance, the importance of getting a, a bitten individual to the hospital within half an hour, if possible, and certainly within an hour. But her husband was playing hooky. Her husband was off with the car, the only car we had at that time, and I was over in Texas visiting some of our church members. We lived right along that border of Texas and Louisiana, there in Shreveport. And so I was out of town. What should she do? Oh, she could go to the Browns next door. She'd already said goodbye to these people. They were going to the hospital. The hospital, just where she needed to go. They were gone to the hospital. So the neighbors on the other side, the Browns would be glad to give them a ride. But we'd already decided that if our kids ever got bit, we weren't going to the Browns. You see, Mr. Brown had said, uh, if your children ever get bit by a snake, bring them to me. I'll take them to a man who will put a string around them. And as long as they keep that string on, it'll never hurt them. But if they take that string off, they'll die. Modern day witchcraft, yeah. And so uh, we didn't want to go there. We'd already talked that over. So she started phoning. Well, that night, the hematoxin and the neurotoxin in the cotton mouth also called a water moccasin, they're the same, same animal. The neurotoxin began to slow down all the muscles in the body and to shut down one muscle after another. I took the other three boys and went on home finally. Two o'clock in the morning, I was on my knees by my bed, you can guess. Two o'clock in the morning, she called and said, his muscles are shutting down and his heart is stopping. Shall we give him the antivenom? You say, what? Hadn't he done that yet? Oh, but you see, antivenom is made of horse serum. And many children are more allergic to the horse serum than they are to the poison of the snake bite. And so the doctor had spent hours explaining to her why it was dangerous to give them the antivenom. So at two o'clock, what should we do? We had to make a decision. Couldn't be put off. Just then, you know what I longed for? A pole with a snake on it that Tim could look at and be healed. We were losing him, our five-year-old. We were losing him. It's hard to pray your will be done at a time like that, isn't it? Your will be done. Before we ever left Alaska to move there, though, my wife struggled with that question and told the Lord, if we go to, Alaska, go to Louisiana, I surrender my boys to you in case they get bit. 
not knowing it, it really would happen, of course. Well, they gave him the horse serum, and five days later, he came home. I vividly remember pleading in prayer on my knees at home alone. Well, the boys were in their beds. But pleading with God to save our little boy. Praying for a miracle of healing like the Israelites had experienced. But we had to trust the will of God. We had to say, your will be done. And I know some here who have been through that valley. A lot of us here, possibly, who have been the valley of the shadow. And we have to turn to God and say, your will be done. We have to trust him with concerns. Maybe the concerns aren't that serious. Maybe it's concerns over fears lifestyle, maybe it's surrendering our health, our choices, but having faith that if God said it, I want to do it. Now, considering the commandment of God, don't you suppose that Moses was surprised to get that instruction? Don't you think he was shocked to get that instruction? I'm surprised. God told him to make an image after commanding them not to make images and of a serpent of all things. What a shock. I'm surprised. Anyway, a snake it was. And by looking at that snake, the people would be healed. They could be saved from death. Life was in a look. And of course, that snake on the pole wasn't his, that wasn't uh, Moses' idea. It wasn't a human idea. It was God's design. It was a divine method of recovery. It was a solution to the snake bite. No one could reason it out. Scientifically, there is no explanation. It appeared foolish, I'm sure, to the unbelieving. But now the question, what did the serpent, the brazen serpent, represent? We said that the biting serpents represented Satan. Well, did the serpent on the pole also represent Satan? Well, for that answer, we turn to John 3, verse 14. Revised Standard Version, which incidentally is a very good version, says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You remember that. That whoever believes in him, the people had to look up at the serpent and believe that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus was alluding back to this experience of Israel in the wilderness. He was saying that this improbable symbolism is exactly what is meant here. The serpent on the pole represented the lifting up of Jesus on the cross. It's very plain here, isn't it? The serpent on the pole was the solution to the problem caused by the serpent on the ground. 
just as Jesus, who became sin for us, became the serpent on the cross to take care of the sins of our hearts and our choices. How could a symbol of sin represent Christ? Ah, that brings us back to my favorite New Testament text. One of them is John 1, 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look! Oh, that's an interesting word. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is a plan of salvation in miniature right there in Israel in the wilderness. So we have a very paradoxical symbolism here. The serpent on the ground represented Satan, but the serpent on the pole represented Jesus, making him our sermon title, the serpent of salvation. So in conclusion, I want to share with you 2 Timothy 5.21. 2 Timothy 5 is, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, is my favorite New Testament text. Verse 21, the last verse in the chapter says, He hath made him to be sin for us, the serpent on the pole. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God through him. Love that text. So what is the point of all this? It is to remind us that our load of sin, our load of guilt, our bites from Satan, the serpent, which we all have had according to Romans 3.23, we've all been bitten by him, but we all can be healed. We need never despair. We can always go to him for healing because he became sin for us. Salvation can only be found through faith in Jesus. What do you think? I see a nod. I have permission. The last few days as I've been typing on this sermon, I kept having a song going through my mind constantly. Can you guess what it was? Look. Upon Jesus, sinless is he. My life of sorrow, my sin and woe. He'll take care of it. It is hymn number 412. And I would really love to sing this song together as a response to what Jesus has given us in this symbolism. Look upon Jesus, 412. with his 
Almighty Father, we come to you today like Israel, sinful, helpless, 
We try so hard, Lord, to be independent and self-sufficient, and yet it all comes from you. And it's as hard for us to recognize it as it was for Israel. Open our eyes and help us to trust our worries, our heartaches, our concerns for the future. Give them to you. Thank you for the message of the serpent on the pole.